0: Hello and welcome to Hyped, the podcast for the culturally curious that turns a critical eye on some of the most hyped books, plays, films, music and TV shows of recent years. Join us as we work out where these cultural trends have come from and what they reveal about modern society. I'm Zoe Strimple, columnist, dating expert and historian of gender in modern Britain.
1: And I'm Tom Stammers. I'm a historian of France and a general cultural glutton with a weakness for all things 19th century. Zoe and I have been consuming and debating culture together ever since we were at university, uh, which is so long ago now that the other woman in royal politics was Wallace Simpson. Yes, and you were the Duke of Windsor for God's sake. (laughs) Um,
0: Today we are talking about the docu-series on Netflix about the Sussexes, uh, Meghan and Harry and their quote story. Now, Tom, as the devoted royal watcher and my compatriot in the queue to the queens lying in state i'm going to hand this one over to you what did you make of this program and actually before you say that you know what is this what why is this a big deal give us some sense of the magnitude of this documentary or or rather it's damp squibness whichever one
1: i'm i'm a believer in the magnitude of it um I I watched it in a sort of binge fashion. Uh, It's obviously six hours, um, six episodes, in which Harry and Meghan, for the first time, say that we had to tell our story. Now, that obviously only holds up if you think that they haven't already had the chance to tell their story with the notorious Oprah interview a couple of years ago. Um, But this is clearly the full saga, as, as seen through their eyes, then working with a very distinguished director, somebody called Liz Garbus, Um, who made this piece, Liz Garbus, who's been nominated uh, for an Academy Award for her um, work on documentaries. She's actually won an Emmy. And this is a huge coup for Netflix. It's been rumoured that Netflix paid the couple up to 100 million dollars to get access to this, to make this programme. And it's been a huge uh, viewing and ratings hit. I mean, it was number one in the UK. Unsurprisingly, I think something like three million people watched it on the first day that it went out. But it was also in the top 10 in 85 different countries around the world so this has had global repercussions and has been a massive talking point um why do i think it's a i think why is why is this a kind of seismic moment i suppose it's a seismic moment because of the um, how much of their private lives the sussexes have poured into this now that's one reason obviously why some people have found this a very nauseating watch but it is amazingly intimate in terms of you see the photos, the texts, all the kind of private details of their courtship are splashed all over this series. Um, And so you do feel you're entering into the kind of psychic cocoon of Harry and Meghan, which is a very paranoid and unhappy place. But it did feel like you were getting a, a weird degree of access to these two people who in other circumstances are constantly railing against intrusion and privacy and you know unwanted violations of their domestic space. This did really let you in. Um, and because it was so long and so rambling, I did think you got the chance for Harry in particular to speak at length about how he understands what's happened to him in relationship to much bigger narratives. Um, so whereas the Oprah thing all hinged on Particular smears and accusations. This, if you like, was their whole world, view, um, including how they think about empire, how they think about what the monarchy is an in institution, how they think about race, how they think about social justice. This was the this was the whole caboodle. Um, Zoe, what did uh, did you feel you learned something new through this, um, and what did you think about the way it was made?
0: Um, I I didn't really feel like I learned that much new. It it just really um, I was just very attentive to the positioning of 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 their romance as a sort of object that was manipulated and presented. There's Harry and Meghan, and then there's their romance, their love. And I even saw on Instagram, you know, several high profile people saying, "Oh, I love their love." You know, I think there's quite <laughs> a sort of rich history about about that, the sort of birth of of love as a sort of commercial, but also you know, endlessly meaningful, bountiful, um, kind of the, the thing that keeps giving. But almost
1: saintly. It's almost like how their private love then ripples out to become a kind of a gapic love. Because it is yeah. also presented that their love is something that's going to heal the world. I mean, yes. and that's not an exaggeration. Absolutely,
0: in that sense, there's obviously an extreme kind of Jesus slash Christian overtone that in a way they're sort of pitching their love as the mm-hmm. love that will save humanity. And that's really interesting because I think they would probably, you know, I don't think Christianity was really mentioned. I think that they, mm-hmm. despite Harry coming from, you know, the his grandmother was was the vector of the of, of God on earth,
1: you know, I don't <laughs> Anglican I don't, number one.
0: Yes, Anglican number one. I don't think that, you know, Christianity would be the, the frame through which they would consciously um tell their story. And yet ver, that sort of theological element of love, or rather the way they pitch their love is sort of half you know, to do with therapy culture and self-realization culture, and half sort of unwittingly or subconsciously theological. But what interested me, Tom, and I'd love your, um, you know, any insight you have on this is why had they gathered all of this footage? You know, when 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 Megan is sort of agonizing over emails to her lawyer with a glass of wine, in it's three in the morning. Who's filming? Yes, and and does this, this, this apply? Million
1: dollar they, question.
0: Yeah, I mean this. This suggests that the whole time they've had in mind that they're going to be using this footage somehow, and and that I think raises really interesting questions about the fabric and experience of, of a sort of you know to use a pretentious sort of hyper real modernity where it's sort of like mm-hmm. you're not only experiencing things but you're always experiencing things for the camera that, that everything has a sort of double layering to it. It's both. It Maybe real-
1: wonder if some of yeah, I wonder if some of those sequences had even been acted or reconstructed, Zoe, because as you say, unless there was a filmmaker living with them constantly over many months which is possible in light of the fact that they're collecting all of this documentary material you also wondered whether there's this sort of weird retrospective performance of let's do the moment where harry gets the text from william you know we won't reveal the text but we'll show the moment and the impact that it has on him i mean there was something weirdly staging at the same time as promising you this as you, as i say kind of unique unmediated access you know through their own eyes and yet clearly there's a cameraman there in shot all of the time so the whole thing was a was dishonest well that's right that's (laughs)
0: the interesting double thing about it that doubleness you know on one hand authentic um glimpse on the other hand there's no such thing as an authentic glimpse that's captured on camera unless the person being captured doesn't know there's a camera in the room they Mm -hmm. clearly did know there was a camera in the room and they were talking to it how they you know but but then it, it you know could suggest well these people were are are you know a cynical view would say these people are you know show people par excellence and they they always had the knife for the story and in fact they hate the media but they be, they they've behaved like journalists of themselves i mean to the, to the absolute you know it doesn't look like any part of their life wasn't being considered as footage you know i mean i also had to laugh the scene when they're on their private jet going to california and the dog is there and you're thinking Oh yeah, life is so, you know, are you seriously complaining about your story from literally footage on a private jet? There's but such think-
1: conflict between their privilege and their sense of victimhood yeah. and how those two things rub against each other. Uh, and I don't think that the, the, the series doesn't find a way of navigating that. It just moves between these kind of wild contradictions of this gilded world and even the world they've escaped to. I mean, the view California home, their finding freedom, place of refuge is another version of the gated community. Um, As I say, there's something very sad about the fact that they left Britain in order to get out of a gilded cage and and escape from media controversy. And here we have them in a new life in California, where they're once again in an astonishingly kind of protected, kind of gilded, unreal world. And they survive off the basis of media controversy, because that's the only way they can pay for the security that they want for the kids and so on. So, you know, I think in a way you watch it and you feel they've exchanged one prison for another.
0: Would be a gen. I think that's a generous and a sympathetic reading. A cynical reading might be that they're just taking it for all they can. I mean, they complain about the royal family. The only reason they can get a hundred million dollars or whatever for a Netflix documentary is the royal family. I don't see them trying to do anything else very much. Every single piece of their public persona is about monetizing fame from their experience with the Windsors, who are also apparently, you know, the devil incarnate. Um, and also, I think there's a very cynical use of race and all these other dramas that have been yeah. amped up. But what's you know what's really been interesting is to see the different way it plays in the UK and in the US. I mean, I've been seeing this stuff on on social media and from Americans. They don't see it in the terms that we're seeing it, like you know, exploiting the the, the name and the family for money and the the weird irony of hating the media, but spending your entire life manipulating it so that you can maximize your income from it. You know, they just focus in, and this may be typically American, on, as I said, their love. And the, and not yeah. only that, but the race narrative. Again, this is cynical. I can't speak for what has literally been said behind closed doors at all times, but it doesn't really make one feel like this is a, a, a real thing. It, it, but yeah, the Americans go for it. They say, oh yeah, Meghan's you know, the, the the evils of this old racist imperialist institution. And, you know- Well, you it's know.
1: interesting. She's been attacked by some figures on the American left because of her willingness to even enter into the Royal Family. Yeah. You know, there's a kind of piece doing around at the moment which is all about how could she be seen as so naive? Of course, the moment that you get into bed with this fundamentally imperialist kind of elitist organization how did you think you could save it? How did you yeah. ever think he's so naive? But you're right to say the way this plays out on both Sides of the Atlantic is is completely fascinating. Then winning all of these awards, you know, the NAACP award, you know, the Kennedy Award recently for their humanitarian work. Um, you know, there's a, there's an astonishing moment in the documentary where somebody says that she's been taken down because she's a symbol of social justice. I mean, the, 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 the kind of the, the self-belief um that this couple has and it comes back to this kind of quasi-christian vision of them as humanitarians it's one of the reasons why they don't you know she doesn't want to go back to acting you know the way that they could pay the security bills if they wanted is yeah. to get for her to go back and make some movies yeah. but she doesn't want to do that what they want to do is run a foundation and do charitable work and save the world yeah. and it's so the, they have so, yeah. to kind of do this other thing well, in order to
0: pay the bills. it's the social capital of the philanthropist that's what yes. they want. They want the cachet. They want to be philanthropists from a showbiz background instead of like Bill Gates, who actually is smart, worked hard, built a company that changed the world. They haven't built anything that changes the world. They've All they've done is say racism, racism, using a shred. The, the only way into that is that Megan's half black, but she's everybody was pro Megan to begin with. I mean, the whole thing is so ridiculous. And, and, and don't you, Tom, I mean, as an Englishman through and through, do you not find the American...
1: Through and through. <laughs> well, you certainly don't have any
0: Americanness ness in you. Do you That's find fair. that the American pronouncing on those sort of evils of our royal family, and not only as an Englishman through and through, but as a historian through and through, and yeah. a royalist through and through, and a historian of royalty, do you not find it painful?
1: I do. I mean, I would say sometimes it's quite helpful to be seen through the eyes of others. And I think clearly the English sometimes are a little bit blind about the political coding of the monarchy because we are, you know, it's part of our everyday life, it's part of the furniture of the country. And so we often don't look at it very critically. So sometimes it can be useful to be reminded of how it it seems from outside. What I found more disappointing in a way is some of the intellectuals that were able to be co-opted for what I thought was a pretty shoddy piece of filmmaking. So I both very much admire the film director herself and I don't know what she was doing doing this, but then I was also sad that Afua Hirsch, who I think is great, you know, her book about being black British is fab. David Sugar, who I think is a really fine historian and has written this brilliant book about um, the Black experience in Britain uh, over over many centuries, that they would come and pander Mm. to the, the narrative did make me feel uncomfortable. I mean, there's an astonishing moment at the end of the fifth episode where it sort of suggested that the independence of Barbados, you know, the crumbling of the Commonwealth, could have been averted if the royal family had kept Meghan or that somehow the expulsion of Meghan was, uh, you know, put a kind of chain reaction, which means that other non-white parts of the Commonwealth no longer want to be kind of associated with it. This is crazy. This Mm. is completely crazy that the Duchess of Sussex somehow could sort of save the ghost of the British Empire. Um, And to see serious intellectuals leaning into this and kind of giving them the rationale for their their positions, which I think are based much more in terms of private hurt and trauma. You know, and I don't think, you know, in, in Harry's case, he is right to be traumatized, obviously, like, you know, clearly the ghosts of his childhood is one of the dominant themes in the program. Um, but to see their worldview, which is born of personal hurt and I think resentment and jealousy and everything else being given credence and dressed up in this grand historical narrative, which has somehow got to go back to Elizabeth II and has to go back to kind of the post-war foundation of the Commonwealth was, was troubling. You know, I, I thought the way that history was used was cheap, I have to say.
0: Oh, see, that's yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Do you think there's something of the moment that we're in where private trauma and private feeling bursts out into like endless political significance in a different way than it did in the past? I think definitely. But what do you think?
1: I think that's I think that's fair. I do think I think there's something fair. And I did feel I suppose when my my thoroughly English sensibilities come into play is where I feel defensive about the Queen. Who, because of the archive footage, is being dragged in in various ways. Indeed, compressed versions of the speeches that she actually gave are being offered, or little sound bites from her are given. And again, to give a view of uh, the Commonwealth as interchangeable with empire, um, which I just don't think holds true. And I think it's also very hard to paint Elizabeth II as in any way a kind of racist. Yes, of course, she's the product of an earlier time, but she loved the commonwealth and as a christian she absolutely believed in the equality of all mankind so i don't know i i I felt there was something politically dishonest sort of hovering over the, the whole thing which is about dressing up individual griefs as sort of collective traumas well, that's bigger, it. Kind of national injustices,
0: and that feels like a very contemporary move that we see throughout a lot of the culture wars. On the wrong, you know, um, that's mm. a very that's something the progressive left really does have a problem with. I think in the content in this, you know, social justice is often about you know taking the microaggression, which may or may not exist, and then expanding it to you know an entire history of aggression. You know, an entire history of aggression. Yes. It's taking it's making small personal, private, emotional responses stand in for or become the gateway to a much, much bigger history. And I, that does feel new to me. Did you, I mean, the people, the idea of, of Meghan as the new Diana, what do you make of those parallels?
1: Um, I, I thought the use of Diana was incredibly heavy handed and also kind of insensitive. And what Harry has to say about his mother's death, obviously, is extremely compelling. And um, it's the first time I've heard him speak about that at such length and I thought that was in a way the highlight of the whole series was him talking about what that meant for his childhood. What was problematic then is that, you know, you get the sense that Meghan is just Diana reincarnated um, and we get this idea of destiny. um, you know, which completely cuts against what you said earlier Zoe, which is that when, you know, when the when the wedding began, there was so much positive feeling towards Harry and Meghan at the beginning. Um, and instead, you know, Harry says towards the end of the program, what happened to us was always going to happen to us. Yeah. You know that there's this idea yeah. of like a deep script that yeah. women in this family will be destroyed, yeah. and especially yeah. women of colour will be utterly, you know, yeah. you know, uh, defiled in that sense. So, he, you know, the way that he's made sense of this is is a way of absolving any responsibility, um, because actually they were always doomed to fail in that sense. And that's another thing that I that I thought was dishonest. Um, is that it gives you a very partial view of where this kind of tit-for-tat battle with the press came from. Of course, the Daily Mail, I think, is an odious organisation and they behave really badly. I don't dispute that. What I find difficult is that there's minimal reflection in this about the relationship with her father, about why so many of the other, you know, her step siblings have been so vicious and unpleasant about her. You know, none of that is really explained. It's just sort of presented that oh, suddenly then they find these letters. But the, the back history there is has been very carefully edited. I also think when we see them beat the Daily Mail, yes, OK, they won their libel suit or their, their suit about privacy. But if you read the, you know, the judgment, the damages they received, I believe, was one pound, which suggests that a High Court judge who looked at this with some independence thought, yes, they were the wrong party. But clearly they had fed the beast in all these other ways and they were actually part of the dirty game. That they're otherwise decrying, and so yeah, I just felt that what we were given was both the dream of complete access, but also a comp- extraordinarily selective vision of what her past was, and it's that past, of course, that made it so easy for her enemies to find material against her. I mean, not a mention in it, for instance, that she'd previously been married. I believe I don't think the ex husband is mentioned even once. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, she's like created. It's like Megan, the angel, springs from the earth fully formed with no past, the sort of pure and innocent woman. I mean, in a sense, what you're describing, Tom, is a process of gaslighting. They're gaslighting mm-hmm. us. Um, and they're gaslighting, you know, they're, they're saying that the media, you know, it's a one-sided story. Those of us who, or those people who uh, are, you know, have questions about what they may have done in all this are being racist, plain and simple, or, or whatever. Yeah. There's a sense that like, oh, everything you might think, you're mad, you're, you're just, you're sort of fueled by these sort of racist ideas so I think there's they're they're in recording everything and then hating the press in making all their money off of basically their story about the press you know their story about the Windsors like they they seem to all the things they purport to hate the most are also the things that they use the most in order to make a sh- just a crap load of money and live a, a fabulous life and you know I mean just a bit separately as you know I, I wrote my column this week about this dream of California that they about. Mm, this idea that, oh, you know, Harry, they can only do, they can do things in California they'd never be able to do in Britain. But the footage of what that meant seemed to suggest basically kind of cavorting around a a garden with a very huge <laughs> garden. Feeding it, chickens
1: it, and going to the beach. Yeah. It,
0: big. So, I mean, it, it. that seems like, yes, yes. Okay. If you're, if you're, you know, multi, multi-millionaire and you have a, there's a lot of big houses in California. Is that what they're driving at? But this is not the California of David Hockney anymore. Um, no. This is the, this is the California of, of, of very dim, rich people who have, as you said, paid for a gated community. And it was sort of sad. You think, well, what, what do you exactly think you, can do in California that you can't, you know, y- you're not doing it. I mean, you're yes, you're you're you have a bigger private property, but that it, it sort of this the sort of emptiness of that so-called California dream, the way it's been emptied out, I think was sort of striking.
1: Um I also think on the American things there, I completely agree that even by the by the own footage and headlines that were used in the show, you know, that you'd cut to these headlines that were selected from the press in order to show. Supposedly, the war of the British tabloids against the couple. Actually, lots of these headlines are taken from, um, you know, Entertainment Weekly or mm. the National Enquirer. I mean, let's not pretend. Let's pretend that kind of tabloids are a uniquely British phenomenon. Actually, the mm. American gossip mongering press is yeah. as intrusive, is as wildly speculative as anything that's going on back in London. So I, I think, you know, to pretend that this is something that is all to do with British imperial bigotry and racism, and that's why the press is so nasty. Just makes no sense when you also think that you know she she you know all of their private life is being digested by the American press as well.
0: Do you think there is a sort of I so said to me there's a degree of paranoia, Tom, in their way they talk yeah. about the press. And I was you know I was on Hugo Rifkin's radio show yesterday, and we were talking about this. And both and Hugo was saying you know to me because we both worked together at the Times years ago. You know is there some sort of coordinated press effort that's united in trying to take down the royalty and specifically women in it and specifically women of color? No, we didn't even know. I mean, we, it was the press doesn't work like that. It's much more scrappy and disorganized and reactive, and I think this sort of media paranoia. You're, I'm seeing it everywhere now. The media, the mm. media, it's become it's it's kind of terrifying. It's like the new branch of QAnon almost. It's like or rather like it's it's yeah. the main
1: it's a v- it's a very trump kind of panic cuz you yes, say that, but so many of,
0: people you know like on twitter all the stuff about elon musk i mean there's just the media is apparently the thing to blame for absolutely everything and we know as historians as people who are interested in sociology we know that the relationship between media and re- and audience is really complicated and that people read all kinds of things that doesn't change their opinion or that people seek out Uh, the things that they already agree with. And, you know, Hugo was saying, you know, he's 100% sure that newspapers chase after readers based on what they think the readers already think. It's not a question of newspapers having some sort of malign um, sort of agenda where they're going to, you know, like brainwash the the innocent of the world by any stretch. I mean, Rupert Murdoch um, was, I think he was, was he Remain or Brexit? Whichever one of I mean, his papers went the other direction, so it's just not the case because you know they needed to. So, so I think this like media paranoia is really scary. But
1: they- it makes the mon- and it makes a monolith out of the free press, which in this country is still a free press. Yes, there is undue influence by particular business groups and, and editors, but we are talking about a free and diverse and liberal press culture. And to pretend that there's this giant blob called the media that speaks as one voice is crazy.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. But and as I say, it just makes me uneasy as, as a Jew. Um, and I don't think Harry and Meghan are going to go down that road, although obviously Harry has a past there where he's dressed up as a, a Nazi, um, which is actually sort of amusing, I suppose, now, given who he is. Um, but, uh, yeah. Well, no, it's I- all
1: that. That's the subplot of the series, in a way, is also Harry's conversion narrative.
0: Yes, like, yes.
1: Which it, it comes back to the religious... Sort of sanctimoniousness of it like you know David Ola Sugar coming in and saying I didn't think it was possible but Harry proves that people can change it's all about the Damascus moment that he meets her he realizes that the truest most authentic experiences of his life mm. um, have either been against the family or have been in Africa you know the Botswana story etc and he then is able to, like, move into this, this new, um, you know, utopian landscape. But, you know, Harry has to reckon with the sins of the past because that's precisely what he says that the rest of the royal family are unable to do. Like, he's the only one who's willing to sort of face up to the, the skeletons in the closet, as it were.
0: It's interesting. I always wonder, like, what would have happened if Harry had put on blackface? Would David Oseuga mm. be willing to say he's had this conversion experience and he's, you know, he's? Would there be people can change around someone who has, who's had blackface or appeared to be, you know, done something even more offensive regarding black people? Equally, you know, the royal family hardly has a very proud. Uh, history where Jews are concerned, given its support for the Nazi.
1: I thought the lack of historical reference and perspective was puzzling in a series that otherwise wanted to use archival footage. Like, there is no mention of the abdication crisis of Wallace of the 30s, which would be interesting. There's no mention of Fergie. We're talking about women having a difficult time with the media and the relationship with the family. You know, we do also have Sarah Ferguson to talk about, as well as Diana. So everything, instead, is, as you know, in the spirit almost of a Greek tragedy, centred on Harry, William, and you know, Diana and Charles, and it's this sort of, this psycho battle within one little kind of branch of the bigger story of the Windsors that that seems to justify and and uh, empower everything else. On the other hand, I don't just want this to be a, an excuse to kind of keep kicking them. I do think Harry is very articulate, even though, as you say, he's been very shaped by therapy. He clearly is very articulate. Um, and I do think some of their critics are also pretty loathsome. And so what I'm sad about in a way is how this has become such a kind of polarizing issue and this piece that they put out into to tell their own story i did personally find nauseating but it doesn't mean that what they allege about um you know some of the coverage against them or some of the way that there, you know there is an incentivization and a sort of paparazzi freeding frenzy around people's grief or people's um struggles isn't true you know i think it's i think it's hard they they basically burnt bridges that would allow a kind of more moderate opinion to be able to kind of see both sides at the moment in the very crudity by which they've put their case across. But I would like to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt.
0: But that's the interesting thing. I mean, they're the, the people on their side, so to speak, and the Americans who are, you know, big fans of the team Megan are all saying, oh, that, you know, the family should have like used her as a chance to kind of build, you know, heal itself and build bridges mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. But actually, they're making it incredibly difficult to build any bridges. They don't want bridges to be built. They're just blowing up the bridges one by one, whether it be from that original letter they sent, then the move to America, and then the Oprah interview. And then, you know, the Oprah interview did real damage because, you know, as we found in the queue, otherwise lovely ladies without a, I'm sure without a racist, you know, bone in their body, I don't think they're motivated by racism at all, just absolutely hated her. They hated her for what they saw to be manipulation and and pretense and perform, you know and they didn't like that that she'd sort of ended up coming in and then making a mockery of of their royal family so to speak so I think there's you know they they haven't they haven't understood the public that they're alienating and they've insulted and that's that's made it really hard to build the bridges if indeed they wanted to build those bridges which it just doesn't sound like they ever did remotely.
1: Which is to say, Zoe, as we draw this to a close, uh, you know, there's a lot one could talk about this this sort of fascinating battle going on. But with this particular programme um, and with the Harry and Meghan story, why the hype?
0: Oh, God, why the hype? They've made the hype. That's why the hype. I mean, the first hype is that people have been fascinated by Harry forever. It, it just brings together everything that, you know, everything fascinating about People are fascinated by how a family like like the English royals can or the British royals can can exist, um, that mixture of, of wealth, mystery, hereditary, I- imperative almost. I mean, it's some it's, um, whistleblowers are interesting, and you know, anything involving a prince, a princess, it, the throwbacks of Diana, and then it's just all this, you know, reality TV. We love it. The fate of the family is genuinely uh, in question. I don't know. What, why do you think the hype, Tom?
1: No I think that I think you're right to say it has all of the ingredients and I suppose one of the things that I'm interested in is that there's the there's clearly Megan as victim and you know she has been to an extent treated very badly um or at least written about in quite cruel ways and we do hear about the miscarriage and we do hear about the suicidal thoughts and struggle with mental health and all of that and that would be a story of just one woman's difficulties but I think what's peculiar and odd about this is the way that her sufferings as i say are being magnified as a symbol of something greater and um, one of the other very strange things in the program is that there's the moment where she receives the text from beyonce that i was struck by yeah uh, and beyonce writes to megan and says that you duchess have been selected to break generational curses that yeah. need to be healed yeah like this idea that through megan what we're talking about is the reckoning with the racist past, is the healing of a broken and divided society. Like, her believers have got a messianic kind of belief in yep. what she could deliver and yep. also that her sufferings and her martyrdoms are part of some sort of higher truth. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's there's an individual that's fractured at the bottom of this, but there are crazy kind of claims being made on in their favour by their champions, which is only yep. sort of deepening the culture wall. So yep. I think both sides are at a kind of screaming pitch at the moment, which is why yep. it's such
0: a- very very well said tom um join us next time for a discussion of the second season of the white lotus